So good to see everybody this morning. I don't know, springtime and the beautiful weather just it uh, it makes me happy inside. I should be happy, more happy during the winter too. But <laughs> no, spring is great. Um, so it's good to see everybody. Uh, grateful for um, just uh, being able to get get together. Uh, uh, just a, a couple of announcements, Ruth. You don't. You're you're done for the summer, right? Yep, ladies, prayer is done for the summer. So. But we're not done praying. <laughs> continue, continue to pray, and we, um, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, um, nine thirty on Sunday morning, uh, in the prayer room back here, um, there are several that gather regularly to pray to to just to pray for the service, to pray um, for. Uh, everyone here so um if you would on some would like to on sunday morning you find yourself here early and you want to just get together and and pray please do prayer is where it's at and we have prayer on wednesday night um you know it'd be great to be able to have prayer opportunities every day of the week you know that people are always just gathering together and, and we're, we're praying things through because that that's ultimately where um you know what moves the lord that and faith. Um, if I could, can I get you gentlemen one more time? It's easy to get out of habit, isn't it? Um, let, me, let me bless the offering here and we'll bless the message too. Lord, thank you so much for um, everything that you've given to us. Lord, um, you didn't have to give any of it to us, but you do, and you it's all yours anyway. So Lord, we, we give back gratefully and thankfully and full of joy to just say thanks. And Lord, I pray you'll bless the gift and the giver, and Lord, I pray that you'll bless us with your um, uh, your words in the message, too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. For a few minutes, I'm going to leave this in front of me because, see this stack? I've got about three hours worth of, um, so if anybody doing anything for lunch? Um, if you want to go to First Kings chapter number 17, um, I'm sorry, eight to 18, uh, we'll be there in a little bit. But, um, you know, I can't do that. I decided against it. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Second Great Awakening this morning. Um, we talked about the First Great Awakening last week. Uh, it was uh, before the Revolutionary War. Uh, and as I had mentioned, the, the country really was not in a, a great shape spiritually. The church um, membership was about maybe two and a half percent of the um, of the country's population, which is not a very good sign. Um, and so after the you know we had the Great Awakening, it bumped up some, but uh, after the revolution was not a whole lot better. Um, you had stuff like. Um, well, Thomas Paine it was uh, one of the significant contributors for the country um, going against Britain in the Revolution with his common sense. Um, Thomas Paine was an absolute heretic. Um, in fact, the people who really didn't believe in God anyway still considered him a heretic. And when he um, was when he was buried, uh, nobody went to his funeral. Um, he also wrote. Um, uh, is a reason. Let's say I'm trying to do it without my notes. Um, and I don't have it in front of me. Um, but another uh, uh, little pamphlet he wrote um, about reason. And I'm sorry, I don't have that right in front of me. I'm trying to do things without going, just reading everything through. Um, was extremely, extremely popular and popularized in the universities. 
So um, it really, so a whole age of enlightenment, uh, universities, uh, you know, Yale uh, here in Connecticut, Harvard, um, some of these universities up here in New England that started out uh, for the, um, to train people, to train especially men to go into the ministry. Uh, At that time, uh, there were hardly any Christians on the campuses. They were passing out Thomas Paine's book. They were selling it for pennies. If, for, if people couldn't afford them, they'd just give them out. And so the universities um, had really, really declined morally uh, at the time, right after the Revolutionary War. Um, so once again, the country was very, very ripe for a, a revival to take place. Um, like I said, kind of moral decline. People really were not uh, engaged that much. Um, in fact, uh, so, so a few facts. Crime had grown to such an extent that bank robberies, bank robberies were a daily occurrence. Um, uh, the Methodist Church was losing about 4,000 members a year. Uh, the, um, in a congregational church up in Lenox, Mass, it had been 16 years since they had taken a young person in their fellowship. Um, the Protestant Episcopal Bishop of New York quit functioning. He he hadn't confirmed anyone so long he decided uh, he was out of work. Um, John Marshall, uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, wrote to the Bishop of Virginia, said the church was, quote, was too far gone ever to be redeemed. Voltaire said Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years' time. Um, Kenneth Latterette, who is uh, uh, one of the foremost church historians, said it seemed as Christianity were about to be ushered out of the affairs of men. Um, only 5% of Americans in 1790 had formal ties to churches. Um, the Age of Reason was Thomas Paine's book in 1794. Uh, so, uh, said Harvard University did not have a single Christian in the entire student body. Princeton had two believers. Williams College conducted mock communion services, and Dartmouth College um, conducted anti-Christian plays. So we're at a time where very much the, 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 the country, the church, needed to be revived. And now the Second Great Awakening is, is kind of different. The First Great Awakening, we had um, a few major figures. You know, we had uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, with, with his message, we had George Whitfield that preached up and down the coast. We had the Wesley brothers that came. And um, so these major figures that kind of took hold um, and had, I, would, I don't want to say unified, but it was kind of a, uh, um, a revival that you can say, okay, this is when it started. This is about when it ended. These were the major figures. With the Second Great Awakening, it was more widespread. It was kind of a bunch of smaller things that, that grew into a larger whole. Um, it started, really, um, God started moving a bit, both in the United States and overseas. Uh, there was a um, gentleman in Norwich by the name of Isaac Bacchus. Uh, I believe not the person that actually started the hospital, but I would have to, they've got to be connected somehow. Um, he took a church in um, Massachusetts, and then another one ended up being here in Connecticut. He started some concerts of prayer uh, in the late, like in the 1790s. And out of that, there was a stirring that started happening. Um, and God began to start moving. One of the big moves um, in, happened in... Um, Well, there were some revivals that took place in New England during the 1790s, but then in Kentucky, in Cane Ridge, um, Kentucky, there were um, a, there was a, a huge revival that took place there. Um, a lot of this, some of the things that started happening that propagated this is um, the Methodists started circuit riding, and um, the. We think today of the Methodists as kind of more traditional and more almost liturgical and reserved, and back then they were not at all. Uh, in fact, they, they were, I think they were called the shouting Methodists. Um, and a lot of the circuit-riding preachers 
were, um, I mean, they, they were very, very much on fire. A lot of them were not um, even uh, gospel trained. They just kind of, they got, they got saved and people um, you know, helped them out a little bit and stuck them on a horse and said, go. And, yeah, and, and they would. And um, a lot, you know, they would, they would preach um, all over the place and stay in people's homes. And um, uh, but this place out in um, uh, Cane Ridge, Kentucky, is right on the Kentucky and Tennessee border. Um, so here's one of the Methodist preachers. Um, so Francis Asbury was the first bishop of the Methodist Church in America. Um, he crossed the Allegheny Mountains 60 times, visited every state, preached 17,000 sermons, and stayed in 10,000 homes. So a circuit writer, John A. Grand, traveled in, um, the South and was known as the Wild Man. Grand once, uh, Grand once recalled, I would sing a song or pray or exhort a few minutes, then the fire would break out among the people, and the slain of the Lord everywhere were many. Crowds followed him from one preaching point to another, singing and shouting along the way. At one meeting, so many people fell, they lay in such heaps that it was feared they would suffocate. Um, in, in the Cane Ridge Revival in the 1800s, so they, they couldn't... What happened is they, um, they were having a an ecumenical service, and it was a um, it was a communion service, an ecumenical one, and uh, they ended up being out, they, they couldn't fit any, every, everybody, so it ended up being an outdoor, like, tent revival. Um, uh, so they were, it, um, trying to condense this a little bit, there was a lady in the house that um, gave vent to her feelings and had loud cries and shouts, and um, during this communion service, and they didn't really know what to do with it. So they just kind of, uh, the presence of the Lord was there, so another guy got up and preached, and everybody was good, and so they kept on going. And they ended up moving it outside, and um, let me see if I can condense this. Um, so in the glare of the blazing campfires, this is um, an observer who was there, the glare of the blazing campfires falling on a dense assemblage of heads simultaneously bowed in adoration and reflected back from the long ranges of tents upon every side. Hundreds of candles and lamps suspended among the trees together with numerous torches flashing to and fro, throwing an uncertain light upon the uh, tremulous foliage and giving an appearance of dim and indefinite extent to the depth of the forest. The solemn chanting of hymns and swelling and falling on the night wind the impassioned exhortations, the earnest prayers, the sobs, the shrieks or shouts bursting from persons under intense agitation of mind, the sudden spasms which seized upon scores and unexpectedly dashed them to the ground, all conspired to invest the scene with terrific interest and to work up the feelings to the highest pitch of excitement. Add to this the lateness of the hour to which the exercises were protracted, sometimes till two in the morning or longer, the eagerness of curiosity stimulated for so long a time previous, the reverent enthusiasm which ascribed the strange contortions witnessed to the mysterious agency of God, the fervent and sanguine temperament of some of the preachers, and lastly, the boiling zeal of the Methodists, who could not refrain from shouting aloud during the sermon and shaking hands all around afterwards. Um, so, this, uh, according to a pastor at the scene, the number of persons who fell, quote, unquote, the number of persons who fell was, quote, the astounding numbers of about 3,000. So, um, they, this is where a lot of the tent revival type stuff came about. Um, and some of the reason I'm, I am uh, mentioning these more... Um, if you will, like extravagant things is because um, uh, and I'm going to share more about Char uh, Tenney later, uh, but he came towards the end of this revival. Um, some people will say that he was part of the uh, what they would call a general revival, not the actual Second Great Awakening. He was more in the uh, towards the 1840s. He had a revival in New York. And uh, started out at a Presbyterian church. 
Uh, he was gonna, just going to go in and, and fill in. They needed a pulpit supply. Uh, realized the church was in dire shape. Um, they were kind of infighting with each other and with another church in town. And um, he got in, started preaching, and, um, and really the love of the Lord felt. The churches united, um, and they started helping each other, loving one another. And uh, end up, they had, I believe it was like 1,200 salvations in about six months. Um, and it, it, it exploded to such an extent, everybody went, oh, there's, there's this revival happening. That, uh, they say this is one of the greatest revivals that took place. And it wasn't exactly right there. It was because of what happened, the word, word by word of mouth, it, there was about 100,000 salvations in that year. Just because God moved and that word of mouth had traveled. Um, but I've got some lectures from um, Charles Finney. I think I said Tenney earlier, I'm sorry. Uh, Charles Finney, I, I've got some lectures from him. And uh, I want to share more about those later because they've really, really, um, probably not later today, but at a later date, they've really, really in inspired me and really um, uh, stirred me. Um, one of the things that, that he said uh, will quench a revival is to, to look at it too critically and to um, look at some of the things that happen in the revival and to ascribe those to something else or to come, to come along and to quench the spirit and to say, look, um, let, let's, let, let's, let's tone it down a little bit. And that's exactly actually what, what happened with the revival that he was in the uh, the um, Presbyterian Church, the higher ups, uh, they wanted to tone it down, and what he says is, is that totally shut everything down. And so, as we, um, as the Lord moves, and I, I I am praying and believing, I I believe we what we need to do is stop. Just, I mean, we need to pray for the Lord to move and pray for revival, but let's accept it. It's going to happen, and, and be, let's anticipate every time we come together. It, it's go, it, God's going to meet with us. Things are going to happen. People are going to get saved. The Holy Spirit's going to fall, and, and we are going to be um, we're going to be moved into you know another step into His presence. All right, let's let's believe that it it, it it could it's going to happen. A and it could happen in any moment. So let's just be anticipating that, and because um, I this this is something the Lord wants. Um, during this time, also, there was a uh, re resurgence in the schools. As I mentioned, the, the schools um, before were very um, secularized. Uh, it, in particular, Yale, the president there, um, happened to be the grandson of Jonathan Edwards. And uh, so he, he came into a really tough situation um, and started um, turning that place around. Uh, and to the extent that... Um, uh, I get my notes. Anyway, I believe um, I just got my notes all out of order. Isn't that good? Um, so here's some of the things that. Um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, I'll get to the, so, before I move on from the Yale, Yale graduating class of 1802, um, many, of, many of the graduating class in 1802 chose to go into full-time Christian ministry. Um, in 1770, there were only 20 Methodist churches. By 1860, there were 19,000. Um, from 1850 to 1840, the Spirit was poured out upon four to 500 churches every year. And during some years, forty to 50,000 were added to church membership in a single year. Um, and a lot of, right after that in Yale, a huge number decided that they were going to go into ministry. Like, I think it was like, if I remember correctly, I've got it in my notes, I can't find it, like 60 or 70% of the guys who... Uh, went through Yale, decided they were going to uh, go into full-time ministry. So to go from, like, hardly any Christians there to um, being, you know, a, a, um, 
uh, people who are investing in ministry once again. During this time, a lot of the um, different missions boards and stuff began. Uh, they they started about this time, and we started sending people out of the country, um, out of Salem. Uh, we sent the first missionaries out. Um, uh, what is his name, Ruth? Adam Judson, thank you. Um, was uh, the first one of the first missionaries. I say one of the first because he went with a group. He went to Burma. Uh, actually, around this area, um, uh, actually from Franklin, a, a gentleman with him by the name of Knott. Uh, Samuel Knott was the pastor, and his son um, went with uh, Adam Judson, except he ended up being going to India. And uh, in Bombay, he set up the first. Um, you, you, uh, missions post uh, uh, from the United States and he's, uh, he's buried in a cemetery in Franklin um, he and his wife um, so some of the first missionaries sent out of the country um, came from right around here and uh, it happened right about this time um, so you know all that to say um, the country today and I mentioned it uh, uh, and Tim knew of the the um, uh, uh, the survey. You know, the country right now is poised for a revival. With everything else that's going on, I mean, you can look at whether it is um, related to the pandemic, relating to the economy, relating to uh, you know the school shooting that just happened. Um, I mean, so many things in this country look like they could be you know going heading downhill. Um, there is a um, uh, uh, a survey that went out for the first time uh, since Gallup started. It was Gallup, I believe, started surveying um, uh, church membership, and uh, this is across uh, religious faiths. So we're talking Christian, Jewish, Islamic uh, memberships have dropped below fifty percent, um, and that's really happened in the last. Um, couple three years uh, so you know I believe what God has been could be you know with the whole pandemic God kind of saying hello people remember me I'm up here instead of it having that effect and having people turning to the Lord it's actually turned a lot of people away from from the church which is not a good sign um, so it's time it is time for us to get serious about this. I'm not saying we're not serious. I'm, I'm saying we need to adjust our prayers in faith. So it's not just praying for it someday. It's praying for it to happen now. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen now. And let's pray and believe and having faith that this is, this is the time and it's needed. Um, oh, I can't wait to share more about Tenny's stuff. He, he, bas- he basically says, look, if the world's in, in dire need, it's your job. It's your job to bring revival to it. And if you're not doing it, then you're, you're not doing your job. So it's in dire need. It's a, let's, let's do this. Um, so I've got like a whole bunch more. But let's, uh, let's move on to the, the text this morning. Um, so let me... Um, it's hard to preach two different sermons. <laughs> uh, in uh, in Kings, let me let me tell you a little bit about what's going on here. Um, we're we're talking about um, the the kingdom of Israel. All right, remember it had been probably about sixty years or so, fifty or sixty years since the kingdom divided. Okay, remember David uh, was really the first great king. You had Saul and David. Solomon, you know Solomon's son. Then the kingdom divides to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? So you have Israel in the north, you have Judah in the south. You have ten kingdoms in the north, you have or ten tribes in the north. You have really two or three in the south. That's that, that makes it more than one, tri- you know, more than twelve tribes. But um, the Levites didn't have an inheritance in the tribe in the tribe. So it was Benjamin and Judah. Uh, the, a lot of the Levites and then the ten tribes in the north. So Elijah is sent to the ten tribes of the north. Ahab, you remember, 
Ahab was not a good king. Um, he uh, was, um, uh, during this time, that he, he made a, a pact with the Sidonians and um, took this, uh, this, this wonderful wife by the name of Jezebel, who happened to be the um, daughter of the, like, um, the high priest. And so he's getting a, a bunch of baggage when he takes this woman as his wife. And this should be a, um, uh, this, should, this should go out to all those who are, are not married to say, make sure and choose wisely because you never know what, you, you know, there's baggage that comes in. And Jezebel, um, uh, she, she was kind of a, a cross between a serpent and a bear. You know, at one point she's, you know, you know, slithering and sneaky around, and next minute she's up on her hind legs with her with her tooth and her fangs. Okay, she she was a an evil, evil woman, and um, her husband was not much better. Uh, they so she brought a bunch of the gods with her to um, uh, to Israel, uh, specifically Baal and the Asherah. All right, uh, Baal is this, we talked a little bit about it last week, Baal is the storm god, okay? So he, he's, the, he's the one with the, the storm, the lightning, the rain, the, the farmers need the rain, right? Um, Asherah uh, would be the um, goddess of war, but also the, the female counterpart for Baal. Um, so, you know, they're supposed to get together and then, and then you, have, you have success, right? So... Um, there, Jezebel supported the prophets of, um, of Baal and Asherah. There's 450 uh, so prophets of um, Baal and 400 prophets of, is that right? Mm-hmm. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. They say, the Bible says it, they ate it at her table. Right, meaning that she supported them, right? Um, so she was giving them their their support, their living. And here you've got the lone Elijah. Now uh, Elijah went to uh, Ahab a while back and said, "You know what? You have chosen poorly, and because you've chosen poorly, it's not going to rain until I say so." And then he leaves. And think about think about this. He 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 takes off, and uh, they couldn't find him anywhere. And you know, if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, "It's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain," he'll go, "Oh yeah, right." And then you know, for maybe a month it doesn't rain. Like, well, maybe there's something to it. And then, you know, you get into the spring and the rainy season, and you're like, you know, April showers bring May flowers, and there ain't nothing. Right, and you keep on going, and for for a year, now what? Two years, we got to do something about this. Remind, or let me remind you, the storm god is what they had brought in, right? Baal. So this is a direct attack on this storm god, right? I'll show you. So no rain, two years, three years. And uh, Ahab goes to Obadiah and says, look, um, maybe there's some pasture land somewhere that says our cattle won't die. You go this way, I'll go that way. No sign of Elijah. Obadiah, he he walks out and all of a sudden Elijah appears in his path. And Obadiah had, um, uh, he actually said he feared the Lord greatly. In fact, he took um, the 100 prophets the prophets of the Lord, that Jezebel wanted to kill them all, and he hid them. He hid them 50 in a cave, 50 in another cave, and he supported them. And, and you know, brought them bread and water to make sure that they stayed alive and uh, kept them in hiding. Um, so he feared the Lord. And so he meets Elijah, and all of a sudden, he falls on his face and says, Oh, Master, you know, um, I, I'm, it's so good to see you. And Elijah says, I'm going to go see Ahab. And he says, You said what? <laughs> Uh, he, he said, oh, go tell Ahab, I'm, gonna, I'm coming to see him. He said, wait, wait, you're going to get me killed. 
is what is what you're going to do. Because I'm going to go and tell my ma- tell my master that you've come to see him. And as soon as I come, the Lord's going to pick you up and plop you down somewhere else. We've been trying to find you for the last three years. We can't. We couldn't find you any place. We we heard rumors that you were had um, had been living in this wadi, and uh, ravens came and fed you. But is that really likely? <laughs> we, we we heard that you went over to the Sidonians, by the way, the place where um, where Jezebel was from, and that you had met with this widow and. Uh, that uh, she she had flour that, and oil that didn't run out, and that maybe you even had uh, cured his her son when he died. And he's like, I'm going to go and tell the king that you've come to see him, and the, and the Lord's going to pop you up and plop you somewhere else, and I'm going to get killed. And he said, No. By the Lord, he, he basically takes a note and says, I will I will see him today. So he goes and and. Um, brings the king back, who says, Oh, there you are, O troubler of Israel. And if you think about it, from the king's perspective, now, I don't think he's he's not right, but from his perspective, he's saying, Okay, Elijah has come up against the storm god. And he's come up and said, Look, these idols really aren't gods at all. And so he's declaring, he's telling Elijah, It's your fault then we don't have any rain. You've made a mess of things. And I, Elijah says, I haven't troubled Israel. You have because you've left the one true God. And I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's see which God shows up. You call your prophets, and then end all Israel, which uh, Ahab sent a, a message out to all Israel. I said, all right, come on out. And all the, got all the prophets. Now think about this. 850 to 1. Got 850 prophets to 1. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be a little bit intimidated. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident I know the Lord, you know. But you've got 850 prophets out there to 1. What, what, was, what was Elijah's? He, he kind of started... Started kind of taunting them a little bit. First of all, he he go to Israel. He said, "Look, guys, why why are you um, limping back and forth between gods? You know, basically in our language. Why are you sitting on the fence? Either Yahweh is the true God, or Baal and Asher are are gods. But but pick one." So then they they go out to Mount Carmel. By the way, this is a uh, um, they. They think they may know the place on Carmel where they where they were. This is uh, in um, Baal's territory, though. Okay, this is possibly a, possibly a high place for both religions, or possibly it could have been a high place for Israel at some point. Um, we we can just think that because it says that he repaired the altar that was there, but it's also a high place for for Baal, and so he's he's he, he takes him into their territory. All right? He wants to make sure that um, he's not stacking the deck at all. In fact, they, they have records that uh, this is kind of what happened, is that they would say, oh, they're gonna, uh, the, the storm god is going to answer with fire, and they'd, they'd like light a fire underneath where nobody could see. And um, so Elijah's like, you know what? We're, I'll stack the deck on my side. You pick which ox you're going to slaughter. You take it, and, and you go first. So the, the prophets of Baal, you know, they, they slaughter this, this animal and uh, start dancing around and trying to call down the fire from the storm god who couldn't answer with a raindrop in the last three and a half years, right? Call, call on your god. And long about noon, he starts taunting them a little bit more. What? Is he deaf? He's true. He's a god, isn't he? Maybe he's on vacation. One of the things, it, 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 it kind of has the connotation, maybe he's in the bathroom. Why don't you call a little bit louder? And so they do, and they're, and they're cutting themselves, and they're bleeding, and they're dancing, and they're doing all kinds of grotesque things to try to get their God to answer. 
Then later in the day, towards the, when the time of the eating sacrifice, I can, I can see, you know, Elijah very, very calmly, you know, um, this is like, you know, like a lion a, uh, walking up upon, you know, a killed prey, you know, just knows what he's doing. There's nothing that's just, you know, as confident in the Lord as anything. He, he, he begins to repair this altar. And it says he took 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. Notice he's in the 10 tribe territory. Yeah, he takes 12. You know, it's kind of like, guys, here you go. This is what God wants. He repairs the, he repairs the altar. He, slaughter, he slaughters the animal. He takes a, he makes a moat, if you will, around the, um, around this, uh, uh, around this altar. And he says, okay, go get me some water. Middle of a drought, right? Go get me four pails of water. <clears throat> now, the, the, the sea was pretty close. In fact, where they, they believe this happened, um, there's a um, kind of a pool that's, uh, that wouldn't be too far. They're able to go get these, uh, these pails of water. Okay, do it again. Go get, one more time. Go get me these. So that the whole, the whole thing is just drenched in water and even the moat is filled up. And he calls on Yahweh. Oh, Lord. Answer. And the Lord answers in such fire that, that to, to say that this sacrifice was burned to a crisp would probably be an understatement. It, it, it totally it burns up the stones and all the water. And all the people of Israel cry out, Yahweh, he is Lord. Yahweh, he is Lord. Yahweh, he is Lord. By the way, Elijah's name is Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. Yahweh, he is the Lord. Yahweh, he is God. The people, um, Elijah had them uh, grab their swords and kill all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah right there. And the people gave up their idols and turned back to God. Now, with the with the people of Israel, the idols were very um, they were able to be seen. Right? They had the prophets of Baal, they had they had the talismans they had the the actual idols that were made. They had the temples. They had it was it was visual. We don't have the visual idols as much. But what idols do we have? What idols are in our hearts? What idols are what things are there in us that are keeping us from being fully sold out to the Lord? Thinking about Elijah standing there all by himself. You know, I think one of the things that we have that can... It, it, it's odd to kind of think of this as an idol, but, you know, we, we have such a fear a fear of man, a fear of failure, a fear of being embarrassed, a fear of, you know, what, you know, if if I, if I talk about the Lord, if I, if I try to, um, you know, if I give the gospel, if I open up and confess my sin, what will people think of me? What will they think if I just started preaching on the street corner? What would, it, what would people think if I started talking about Jesus in, in, in my office or with my, with my family that doesn't know? What, what would people think? There's this, there's a, is that an idol that's keeping us from, the, from being everything that the Lord would have us to be? Oh, and making something bigger than him? 
Things that we put our trust in. More than the Lord. A lot of times it's the government. I mean, with this, you know, me to continue to pray for the, the victims of this school shooting in Texas. You know, but there, there's been lots of other shootings uh, and stuff that's happened. But you know, the, it, the, the, this isn't a political statement. The, 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 the church doesn't have, or the, the country doesn't have a gun problem, it's got a sin problem. It's, it, if we, if the people were not, and it doesn't matter what weapon it is, it, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if the, if the people, if, we, if people were turned to God, right, they, it, they wouldn't matter. Right. Give everybody a nuclear warhead. It doesn't matter. I mean, you're, it's, right, it, it doesn't matter what the weapon, you can use anything for a weapon. It's a, it's a sin problem. Right? Mm-hmm. And what, what's it, but it looks like right now, where I was going with that, you know, are we putting our trust in government? Are we putting our trust in the government to, to keep us healthy, to keep us from having another um, school shooting, to keep us from doing X, Y, and Z? And, and government is good. And this is not not anti-government. But where's your trust and where's our faith? Is it in the God who controls all of that? Or is it in people? Is it in nine justices of the Supreme Court? Or is it in the, the God who can, can take their, their heart and, and, and mold it as a stream, right? We need to declare that the Lord, Yahweh, his son Jesus is Lord over every one of those idols, and we need to just rip them out. Anything that is keeping us from being everything that the Lord has for us to be, we need to get rid of them. Um, trying to listen at the same time here. Um, something the Lord really... I, I was... So Sunday morning, I usually get up early and I kind of submit this whole service to the Lord. I'm like, okay, let's go through it. And he, he kind of shows me... And I... Um, there was something he, he was saying to me this morning and I think I really need to share it. Um... As I've been looking at these revivals after 1920, um, we had the Azusa Street Revival, 1920s on, there's not been a, a huge revival in the country. You have the Jesus Movement, right, in the 60s and 70s, uh, which was great. And I know a lot of people, a lot of you guys came out of the Jesus Movement. My parents were part of that. Uh, I was kind of the kid out of that, you know, I came at the tail end. Um, but it didn't have the effect on society mm-hmm. that a lot of the other awakenings had. Um, and I believe one of these idols in the church, I'm not saying, my finger's not pointing out here, okay, so much as it's pointing to the, to the American church, that I think we, I want, us to, I want us to root it out in here, I want us to repent of it, us, and let the chips, you know, let, let God be God. But, um, We've got to get rid of this notion that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Um, I, I I hear it fairly regularly. You know, we'll talk about the the bad effects going on in the world. Well, that's just the Antichrist coming up, or something along those lines. Well, that's just that's what's that's, that's what's supposed to happen. And I can't find that in scripture anywhere. And I'm saying that because if we, if we as the body of Christ are expecting 
the world, everyone, everyone right out of our doorstep, okay? If we're expecting it to get worse, if that's what our expectation is, okay, I want you to think about that. You, are, you have access to the throne of God because of who you are in Jesus. Every one of you. You have access to go to the throne of God and you are expecting in your heart for our country to go to hell. In some manner, God's going to give it to you. And I believe that's what's happened a lot. And it's... Preachers, it's our fault to a huge extent. It's, it's I believe, the, the, the world, our country's in the shape it's in because the church is in the shape that it's in. And because a lot, because we have believed this mess. A lot of it has to do with the Scopes trial, that the church, after the Scopes trials, the church kind of, um, instead of being a, a uh, catalyst in the world, right, they, they retreated within themselves. And that was in the 20s, same time as this, all right? And so it's time that we break that. It's time that we start saying, we will see the Great Commission happen in our day. This, this, this area, this state, this country is ours. We will see it discipled. We're going to see this happen. The Great Commission is for us to, to see this place discipled and to see it come under the authority bow its knee to King Jesus and there's nothing that's going to stop it. We need to start looking and saying, look, this mess doesn't have to be, this, this country can be a country that bows its knee to King Jesus. This city can be a, a, a town that, that bows its knee to King Jesus. That, that the, this town hall right over here can be a place that exalts the Lord. That everything that it does, it brings honor and glory to the Lord. That, that this can be a holy spot. That it can be, that, that Connecticut doesn't have to be one of the liberal states in the country. It doesn't have to be the, um, the safe place for abortions. It can be a place where, you know what, so much of the, the great awakenings happen right here in its prime that it, to, that it should happen again. And we have the, a number of people in this room that it can happen. It was 12 disciples and they rocked the world. The number of people we have right here, right now, we can take the state. So, I'd like to pray in just a moment. I'm going to pray for two things. All right, number one, I want everyone, once again, we did this a little bit last week, but let's look at any idols we have personally in our lives. Maybe that's fear of man, maybe that's fear of failure, maybe that's, <clears throat> you know, something that's keeping you from, that, that is keeping you from being everything that God would have you to be. Keeping you from stepping out, keeping you from, Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it is something that, that you just can't get beyond. All right? That's number one. I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you on that. Let's deal with it. Okay? Then number two, and I'm going to just lead this, and if you would just agree with me, I want us to repent of the, of the attitude and thought that this world is going to go to hell and we can't do anything about it. Okay? And I want us to get in our hearts that the Great Commission, the Great Commission is for us, and we, it, it's our job to see it fulfilled in our day. The disciples did. Let us do the same thing. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for each person in here and those who are online this morning. And Lord, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit that you will um, bring conviction in each one of us Lord, conviction to 
um, if there's any idols or sin in our lives that, that are keeping us from you. Holy Spirit, come now and rout it out. Show us what that is. Holy Spirit, as I've, as I've been reading all these, these stories of the revivals where you moved on people's hearts and you broke them to such an extent that they, they had to get right with you. Break us. Move in that much power, Holy Spirit, that it, it, it shakes us to the core because we've got to get right with you. Show us any idols that we just need to destroy. And let us get those out today and bury them for once and for all. Holy Spirit, move on each person here. Lord, I don't don't know the hearts of each one, but you do. And I ask that you would show each one. Lord, we, we all have shortfalls. Show us what we need to get rid of. Whether that's large or small or very, very upfront or very, very personal. Lord, let's, let's route those out today. Lord, we I'm not just saying us, Lord, but your church in the last hundred years in this country has let the country go to so much to such an extent. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I, I know so much that, that people who have studied and written and and preached. Lord, I'm a representative of that. Lord, we have we've taught wrongly. We've 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 encouraged people to withdraw from society. We've encouraged Christians to uh, not let their voice be heard. We've encouraged them to not um to not um uh get their get into the realm of, of ideas and to not let to not um, impact academia and and government and and we 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 withdrawn Lord forgive us Lord forgive us for for in any way believing or teaching or preaching that the society is going to go to hell and there's nothing that we can do about it it's just going to get it's just got to get worse Lord forgive us we we believe that the kingdom of God will prevail. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. We want to see our society change for the kingdom. We believe that this place here, this town, this northeast quadrant of Connecticut, and this whole state can be a shining light for the kingdom of God. It doesn't have to go to hell. Use us.